Hi, my name is Audrey, and you are listening to Miles of Murder, a true crime podcast brought to you from the road. Make sure you follow me on Instagram at Miles of Murder, and eventually I will be on TikTok. I'll let you know as soon as that's up and running, but for now, check out Instagram where I will post case photos and supporting information as well as separate posts about my current location and little things like that. For this week's episode, I'm coming to you from Tallahassee, Florida, and more specifically, a really great Airbnb. I'm here for a little longer, getting the van ready before heading out onto the road again, and this time I'll be heading through Texas, which inspired today's episode. I do want to give a content warning, sexual assault, abuse, violence, kidnapping, abduction, blood, death, and murder. Today, I want to talk to you about the Texas Killing Fields a 25-acre patch of land where four bodies were discovered, as well as Interstate 45 Corridor, which is a notorious dumping ground. Starting in the early 70s, the bodies of various girls and young women would be recovered from this section of highway, 33 and counting, both lone victims and pairs of friends vanishing, some never to be recovered at all. If you're unfamiliar with this area and the backstory, this episode will provide a good overview for you. Because of the vast amount of victims linked to this corridor and the possibilities of so many yet to be discovered, I'm going to preface this episode by saying I'm going to do my absolute best to cover each known victim and give them the space that they deserve. Finding conflicting reports on the chronological order of discovery has been frustrating, but I think the message here is to say these girls' names, get their stories out there, and keep them in the foreground. I do plan to expand on each victim's story in the near future, but for today's episode, I'll be providing a brief outline of the crimes taking place in this area. It's important that we remember that a lot of these cases are still open, and it's suspected that this area was or is used by multiple murderers. Making patterns and connections even harder to see as each individual often has unique tendencies. It has been thought that the killing field itself, a 25-acre patch of land where four bodies were discovered, could have served as a memorial for the individual responsible for these murders. The placement of each woman, each under a tree, is thought to have been arranged in a morbid showing of someone's collection, a space for them to come and reflect and remember before it was discovered. The I-45 corridor and the surrounding area is suspected to be frequented because of its proximity between two large cities. Over time, the space has evolved from a secluded and desolate playground for the depraved and is now gradually filling with housing developments. This has slowed down the dumping of victims as more witnesses are now in the area. On Monday, October 10th, 1983, Heidi Villarilfi, a young 23-year-old bartender, would disappear after her shift one night in League City. Her remains would be found in a field. It was a remote thatch of land off of a dirt road with an oil refinery looming in the distance. A year later, 16-year-old Laura Miller disappeared. September 10, 1984, she and her family had more recently moved to League City. Eerily enough, she was last seen at the same convenience store Heidi had been last seen at, also on a Monday. It would be three years before she was discovered, just 60 feet from where Heidi had been discovered. While searching for Laura, investigators discovered a third body. A year later, a fourth. The last two victims to be discovered would remain unidentified for years. We would learn their names. There were 14-year-old Sandra Ramber and 30-year-old Audrey Cook. This field was someone's personal dumping ground along a corridor that had long been claiming lives. This field was dubbed the Texas Killing Field. While there have been suspects in the cases of 33 murdered and or missing women, 
there remains to be only three that were formally charged. The first to be solved was that of missing teenager Shelley Sykes, who had gone missing on Saturday, May 24, 1986, after leaving work. Her abandoned and bloody car was located stuck on the side of the road the following day just off of I-45. Her body was never recovered, yet in 1987, John King and Gerald Zwurst would confess to kidnapping, raping, and strangling her before dumping her body in the fields. King confessed that he, on the night of May 24, 1986, was driving Zwurst's car when he spotted Sykes. He proceeded to run her off the road where her car was later found. They presented investigators with a map of her location in exchange for a deal, and during the search, a blouse believed to be Shelley's was discovered, yet her remains never were. Both men would be sentenced to life in prison and subsequently die behind bars. Crystal Baker, a 13-year-old, left her home after a fight with her grandmother. Last seen alive outside of a convenience store on Tuesday, March 5, 1996, she would later be found beaten, raped, and strangled. Her body was dumped off of a bridge. It wouldn't be until 2009 a suspect would be located. Kevin Edison Smith was in Louisiana facing drug charges while investigators reprocessed DNA evidence for Crystal Baker's case. This would bring back a match to Kevin Edison Smith. Kevin would be sentenced to life in prison and currently resides in Connolly Prison in Texas. The most recent conviction occurred in 2002. William Reese, a suspected serial killer who was already serving a life sentence for murder in Oklahoma, confessed to three murders, Laura Smith, Kellyanne Cox, and Jessica Kane. The most recent conviction occurred in 2022 when William Reese, a suspected serial killer who was already serving a life sentence for murder in Oklahoma, confessed to three murders, Laura Smither, Kellyanne Cox, and Jessica Kane. Laura Smither went missing one day after telling her mother she was going on a brief jog. It was Thursday, April 3rd, 1997. 17 days later, her body would be located at a retention pond in Pasadena, Texas. She was 12 years old. Kelly Ann Cox went missing on Tuesday, July 15, 1997, after accidentally locking herself out of her car outside of a convenience store. She phoned her boyfriend from a payphone outside for help, and that was the last time she was heard from. March 18, 2016, her remains were discovered after suspected serial killer William Lewis Reese directed investigators to an area in Brazoria County, Texas. She was 20 years old when she was murdered. Jessica Lee Kane was last seen on Sunday, August 17, 1997. She was dining with friends just prior to going missing. Her father would discover her abandoned truck alongside I-45 South. Her remains weren't discovered until March 18, 2016, after Reese directed investigators to a field off of East Orem Road. William Reese is currently awaiting execution in Polonsky, located in Livingston, Texas. Those are the three convictions, but what about the other victims and the other suspects? The earliest known victim is Colette Wilson. She went missing on Thursday, June 17, 1971. She was dropped off by her brand director on the corner of Highway 6 and County Road 95. She would wait there for her mother, but when her mother would arrive, the remote intersection was empty. November 26, 1971, her remains were discovered, and it was noted that she had been shot. The earliest known victim is Colette Wilson. She went missing on Thursday, June 17, 1971. She was dropped off by her band director on the corner of Highway 6 and County Road 95. She would wait here for her mother, yet when she arrived, this remote intersection was empty. November 26, 1971, her remains were discovered, and it was noted that she had been shot. 
Four months later, the body of 19-year-old Gloria Gonzalez was found near a reservoir that was just 35 yards from where Colette had been located. Gloria had also been shot. Gloria was last seen alive on Thursday, October 28, 1971. Between the abduction of Colette and the discovery of Gloria, three others would go missing. On Thursday, July 1, 1971, Brenda Jones was last seen on her way to visit her aunt. Her body was discovered in Galveston Bay the following day. She would be the first to be discovered in the bay, but not the last. She was 14 years old. Rhonda Johnson was last seen walking with her friend Sharon Shaw on Wednesday, August 4, 1971, along Seawall Boulevard in Galveston. Skeletal remains identified as Johnson's would be found six months later, alongside Sharon. Rhonda was 14 years old. Sharon Shaw was last seen walking with Rhonda Johnson, as mentioned, and her remains were discovered in two locations. Her skull was discovered in Clear Lake, while the rest of her remains were located in a marsh beside Rhonda Johnson. She was just 13 years old. Allison Craven went missing from her mother's apartment on Tuesday, November 9th, 1971. Their home was located near I-45. Early on, partial remains were discovered, yet the rest of her remains were located three months later in Pearland, Texas, 10 miles from her home. Allison was 12 years old. Debbie Ackerman was last seen on Monday, November 15, 1971, accepting a ride with Maria Johnson. Her body would be later discovered bound and partially nude, along with the body of her friend Maria. Debbie was 15 years old. Maria Johnson, as mentioned, was last seen accepting a ride with her friend Debbie. Her remains were also found bound and partially nude. She was also 15 years old. Wednesday, January 3rd, 1973, Kimberly Ray Pitchford was last seen at Dobby High School for a driving test. Her body was found just two days later in a ditch. She had been strangled. Kimberly was just 16 years old. Friday, September 6, 1974, Brooks Bracewell was last seen with her friend Georgia Gear at a convenience store near I-45. Her remains were later found in a ditch, along with her friend Georgia. Brooks was 12 years old. Georgia Gear was last seen with Brooks Bracewell. In 1976, some of her remains were located by authorities, yet mishandling would not formally identify the remains as hers until 1981, when the case was reassigned and the ditch was reexamined. Georgia was 14 years old. Suzanne Bowers was last seen walking at 10.45 a.m. on Saturday, May 21, 1977. Her remains weren't found for two years. She was just 12 years old. Michelle Garvey left home on Tuesday, June 1st, 1982. She lived in New London, Connecticut, and it's thought that she had snuck on a window and possibly hitchhiked, yet there isn't a clear explanation for how she ended up in Texas. Her body was discovered shortly after her death, yet remains weren't formally identified until 2014 after it was suggested by an online sleuth that there could be a match. Michelle was 15 years old. Sandra Ramber was last seen on Wednesday, October 26, 1983. Her home was found with the door standing open, food in the oven, her coat and purse still inside. She is thought to be linked to a string of murders, yet her remains have yet to be located. Sandra was just 14 years old. During the search for Heidi in what is now dubbed the killing field, one of the victims discovered was Audrey Cook. At the time, her remains were estimated to be 22 to 30 years old and had possibly died six weeks to six months prior to being discovered. It was noted the victim had a small caliber gunshot wound to the back, which severed her spine. 
The year was 1986, and it wouldn't be until 2019 that she would finally be formally identified as Audrey Cook. She was 30 years old. On Monday, October 7, 1988, Suzanne Renee Richardson was leaving her job at roughly 6 a.m. when witnesses heard a scream. Once she was found in the parking lot and Suzanne was never seen again, she was just 22 years old. Alongside Audrey Cook's remains in the killing field, investigators discovered another set. Her age was estimated to be 24 to 34 years old, and she had died six weeks to several months prior to discovery. In April of 2018, she was identified as Donna Prudhomme. She was 34 and last seen September 8, 1991. On Thursday, February 1, 1996, Lynette Bibbs was last seen with her friend Tamara Fisher. The pair were at a teen club and later dropped off at a motel in Houston. Her body was discovered just two days later off of a dirt road near Cleveland, Texas. She was 14 years old. Tamara Fisher was last seen with her friend Lynette and their 22-year-old male friend on Thursday, February 1st, 1996. Tamara was later found alongside Lynette. Both girls were shot, yet two separate types of ammunition were used in the killings. This led investigators to believe that the pair had been killed by separate people. At the scene, it is believed that Lynette was shot first and then Tamara, attempting to flee, was shot in the back of the head. Tamara was 15 years old. Todd Harriman was last seen in the area of Highway 35 in her 1995 Lincoln Continental on Thursday, July 12, 2001. She nor her car were ever seen again. She was in the area looking for a new home. She was 57 years old. Sarah Chesty was last seen riding her bike on the evening of Friday, July 12, 2002 in the area of Algoa Baptist Church. Her bicycle would later be discovered in the church's foyer but her remains would be discovered 14 days later by fishermen in the Texas City Dyke. She was 23 years old. The last known victim, and heavy emphasis on known, is Teresa Venegas. Teresa was last seen on Tuesday, October 31, 2006, walking near a subdivision. Three days later, her remains would be discovered in a field across from Dickinson High School. She had been strangled and raped. Her hair had also been cut off. She was 16 years old. The first suspect I want to talk about is Michael Lloyd Self. He's a local man who is charged with the murders of Rhonda Renee Johnson and Cheryl Lynn Shaw. It was May 1972, and from the jump, Self's confessions were reported to be provided with force. He stated early on that while being questioned, he was intimidated, had a bag placed over his head, was hit with a nightstick, and was threatened with a gun by police chief Michael Morris, who stated Self would be killed if he didn't confess. He was held in confinement against his will despite voluntarily coming in for questioning and eventually provided numerous written and verbal confessions, all of which contradicted one another and stated details that were not aligned with the facts of the case. One was that he threw the girl's clothing out of his vehicle on the highway despite their clothing being found with their remains. He also stated he had dumped the bodies in a location that was 20 miles from where they had been discovered. The details down to the manner of death were wrong, yet his trial began on May 15, 1973. He would be convicted of the first-degree murder of Shaw and sentenced to life in prison, yet he was not convicted for Johnson's murder. Just a few short years later, Police Chief Michael Morris and Deputy Tom and Deal were both arrested and charged with multiple bank robberies. Another local investigator would state that he had witnessed similar intimidation tactics used on other detainees from Police Chief Morris that were stated to be used on self. 
Self would use every last appeal he had trying to gain a new trial, and he would be refused each time. Despite the missteps of law enforcement and respected officials all agreeing that he had been wrongfully accused. He would later pass away in prison in 2000 from cancer without ever being exonerated for the murders of Rhonda and Sharon. It was April 2nd, 1980, during Self's time in prison, that a man in Taylor Lake Village walked into a local police station and confessed to the murders of Rhonda and Sharon. Disclosing facts about the case that Self didn't know, yet police did, such as the fact that the girls lived in the same apartment complex, and even more damning, that he used an electrical cord to strangle them, a fact that police had withheld from the public. Despite this detailed and accurate confession, police dismissed this man as suffering from psychosis, and Self's conviction remained upheld. Today, law enforcement acknowledged that Self was framed by corrupt officials, and they believed the girls were a victim of a local serial killer. Edward Bell would also come into focus as a prime suspect in the murders of Debbie Ackerman and Maria Johnson. With a notorious penchant for public masturbation, he was already serving time in prison for the murder of 26-year-old Larry Dickens of Pasadena, who attempted to subdue Bell in the act one day in 1978. Larry, a Marine, was shot numerous times with two different guns. Bell, arrested shortly after the incident, would make bail and flee, not being seen again for 14 years. Bell would send multiple letters to different law enforcement agencies confessing to the murders of Shaw and Johnson, later adding that he had killed a total of 11 girls, which he referred to as the 11 that went to heaven. Bell was never charged and instead died in prison on April 20, 2019 at 82 years old. Mark Stallings is another suspect that in 2013, convicted of kidnapping and serving a life term, confessed to killing a girl in 1991 before discarding her body in the killing field. This girl will be identified as Donna Prudhomme. Despite Stallings both working and living in League City, confessing and giving testimony that shows great consistencies, he is yet to be charged. He does remain a suspect in the murders of Donna Prudhomme and Audrey Cook in relation to the Texas killing field, as well as two others unrelated and located in Fort Bend County. Clyde Hedrick has also remained a suspect and has reportedly stated he is responsible for the killing of four to five girls. He is believed to have raped and murdered Laura Miller, Heidi Villarreal-Fi, Audrey Cook, and Donna Prudhomme. He served eight years of a 20-year sentence for murder of Eileen Beeson in 1984 and was released in 2021. He is currently being considered for release from supervision via GPS ankle monitoring at this time. I want to take a moment to talk about the Laws Acts organizations established in memory of the victims. The Crystal Jean Baker Act. This act aids law enforcement and authorities in the collection of DNA samples from individuals charged with certain felonies and compares the samples through a combined DNA index system, also known as CODIS, in an effort to clear unsolved cases. Under the Crystal Jean Baker Act, law enforcement is not required to wait for conviction to gather DNA evidence. Rather, DNA can be collected upon a person's arrest. Laura Smithers' parents established the Laura Recovery Center, a nonprofit organization that aids in the search and recovery of kidnapped victims. Texas EquiSearch is a 5013 nonprofit mounted search and recovery organization spearheaded by Tim Miller, the father of Laura Miller. Texas EquiSearch is devoted to coordinating search and rescue efforts for people missing throughout the world. 
And while this concludes the episode of the Texas Killing Fields, I do want to add that I plan to cover this topic again as it is so vast. I'm not sure if I'll cover it for next week's episode or if I'll revisit it in the near future, but I absolutely feel that this subject needs to be covered over the course of many episodes. I would like to give each victim their space and more thoroughly explore certain components, so I do hope that you subscribe and you stay tuned. For now, I hope you enjoyed my second episode. And again, make sure you check out my Instagram at Miles of Murder, where I'll share a little bit about today's episode as well as share about my broadcast location. Um, if you like, you can also email me directly at milesofmurder at gmail if you have feedback, general questions, or maybe even case suggestions. I look forward to hearing your thoughts about this episode. And until next time, be safe. Mm-hmm.